Welcome to Good Darts, brought to you by our friends at Low Six. This is the podcast that's all about darts, although the quality cannot be guaranteed. Last week, uh, we spoke to a world youth champion who just fulfilled his destiny by winning the world match play. That was Dimitri Vandenberg. This week, we'll be hearing from the reigning world youth champion who wants to follow in his footsteps, Luke Humphreys. Cool hand, Luke. We've got our picks for the Premier League darts later on. Uh, there's loads of other stuff to talk about as well. And to stand in for Wayne Mardle this week, uh, we have a renowned MC, a referee, the best spotter in the game, the greatest hitter of double three I have ever seen with my own two eyes, a giant of the sport. It is little Richard Ashdown. Richard, how are you doing? Hello, Dan. What a wonderful welcome. Thank you so much. That's all right, wasn't it? I've, I've learned from the best. I've seen some MCs in my time. Um, <laughs> have you ever seen anybody who's better at hitting double three than you? No, no, I haven't. No? Well, good. Um, it's just a shame you only get six points for it. Otherwise, you'd be absolutely world class. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. The drawback is you have to leave six to have yeah, any yeah. benefit of hitting it. Yeah, really good at hitting six. You're just not very good at hitting the 495 points that precede it. Never mind. Um, right, there's loads to talk about, actually. Uh, first off, uh, seeing as you are my Eurotour compadre, the Eurotour is coming back. I've only just heard about this this afternoon. And it's going to be weird because we're going to Hildesheim. That's not weird. We go to Hildesheim all the time. But there'll be like 500 fans and apparently they all have to wear masks and they all, they're not allowed to sing or chant. I don't, I don't know if that's a bad translation from the PDC Europe website. I, that's, I mean, as a man who, who enforced best of order at Lakeside, that's going to be <laughs> a very different Euro tour venue. Very different Eurotour atmosphere, isn't it? It is. I mean, there, there is enforced best of order while a player's on a crucial double than having silence. I think that they're two <laughs> very different things. But hey, we know how creative darts fans can be. And if that's the case, they will have fun, even if they were completely silent. If you had a room full of mime artists, they would still entertain us, I think, on the European tour. So well, well, you that's say that. interesting, isn't it? Well, if a room full of mime artists turns up, they get thrown out because apparently you're not allowed to have fancy dress either. So unless you can prove via some ID card that you are a clown or a mime artist or a traffic cone for your actual job, then you're going to be, no, that's fancy dress. You're, you're not allowed it. I don't really know how this works, but at least it's back, isn't it? Because the Euro Tour is the best tour in professional sport, full stop. Well, you know, I'm in full agreement on that, but I'm I'm pretty good on all the darts rules, but I'm not so good on the government rules, and I'm not sure how fancy dress is going to make any big difference, um, you know, on the health scale. But maybe um, I, I have faith in the fan; they will come up with something. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a chance of that. What's been going on with you? Because obviously, I've just given you the big intro about all the various hats you wear, <laughs> but. Is, you, you're still working on WDS stuff. Organising stuff in this in this climate must be an absolute nightmare, isn't it? Yeah, it has been tricky. And, and I love the way, by the way, you just made a link from fancy dress to the many hats that I wear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Um, I realise that. I realise that. I've done this before. Not my first rodeo, pal. I'm impressed. Uh, yeah, the, the work with the World Arts Federation, I, I knew when I took on a role, the Chief Development Officer, uh, at the end of last September, that it would be tough to get things the way we want them to be. But of course, back then, we had no idea on two huge things that have happened. The, the first of which is in the darts world. We didn't realise that there would be such a sudden demise regarding the BDO major events. 
I took on a role, and three weeks later there was a shambolic World Masters. And, and obviously the, the World Championship also hit the headlines in terms of the prize money issue. The BDO seemed to be heading into liquidation one way or another. We, at the point of me coming on board, had no idea that that, that was going to be the case. We were just looking at stabilising WDF darts, um, yeah. assuming that the BDO were carrying on. So from trying to put some positive impetus into the outside of the game, suddenly the responsibility falls completely on us. Yeah, so, tricky. And well, then all of a sudden very... a massive global pandemic hits and all these big exciting plans become very difficult to actually follow through on immediately. Yeah, I was going to say, we started the year so positively in terms of the increase of ranking events and, and, and full-on committed to delivering two major events by the end of the year. I mean, we nearly doubled the amount of ranking events in the tour, changed the ranking system, added some events that if you won them, got you straight into the World Championships. Um, but yeah, as you say, 20 events in, out of a potential 130 plus, the season stopped. Um, I've become the chief cancellations officer over the past five months. <laughs> Is that, that, that doesn't Dealing sound like a fun with, role. No, I mean, we had almost 50 nations putting on ranking events and, and we haven't had a single one since the middle of March. And understandably so, we're this is the one thing we can all say look we're in the same boat that all around the world everyone's suffering the same problem so behind the scenes we're busy dealing with all the commercial partners trying to put the major championships in place that would have been going on if darts was running week on week yeah yeah of course what's of happening course. now is that the, t the time's running out because you've got no events to, to for example the world masters it, traditionally and with the wdf going forward will be a season-ending major event that brings together all of the national champions, all of the top players in national rankings, all of the, the people that reach finals of ranking competitions. 600-plus players assemble at the World Masters at the end of the year for men's, for women's, for youth events. There aren't any events for yeah. these players to come to the World Masters. Can't have a season-ending so thing makes... if there's no season to have an end of, is there? Right. That's, the, that's the tricky thing. Um, you mentioned women's right. darts there. Like, I, want, I want to ask you about this because we've just... Right, get this. We went to film the dart show the other day, all right? And so we sit down, myself, Paul Nicholson, Michael Bridge. We talk about all the various talking points of the game. Within 24 hours of finishing that, there's about three different things announced. More challenge tour, more development tour, a women's series with qualifiers for the World Championship, mm -hmm. World Series finals announced, which I wasn't even sure was going to go on, which immediately makes everything that we've just said completely out of date. But that's the way things are moving at the minute, isn't it? You, you've got no idea from one day to the next whether things are going to take place. But the fact that there is at least something for the female players with some big prizes at the end of it, Grand Slam, World Championship, that's... That's big, isn't it? And, you know, as somebody who's introduced most of the great female players to the stage in your career, I would imagine something you like the look of. Yeah, it's very positive. And, and we can't really praise the PDC enough. We do try. But the, <laughs> the, the innovation that they're, that they're able to, to, to keep things moving, yes, they're capable of doing it. Their system allows them to do it. But hey, I mean, I, I can't even imagine the amount of work that's gone into making these things possible. From the women's perspective, the last couple of years, the PDC have run qualifiers for the World Championships across two different venues. I, I like the way that they've done this, condensing it into one weekend. 
um, also having a Grand Slam qualifier. They say one player gets through that qualifier. I don't know if they still intend on inviting uh, Makura as BDO world champion. I assume not. Um, that they're just having the qualifier for it. Mm. Um, qualifiers can be a bit of a loose cannon, we've found, haven't we, in the men's game? But I, I can't really say that for the women's because over the past two years we've had four of the, the biggest names in modern day ladies darts actually qualify for the Ali Pali, haven't we? So I hope the event is successful for them and that we get some more world-class ladies onto the big PDC stages. Good luck to them. Yeah, I, I, thinking about it, I know that Fallon Sherrick has completely changed things and she's doing really well in the Modus League. You can actually, on the Low Six app, you can get involved. I know we haven't got PDC darts until the Premier League returns at the end of the month, um, but Fallon Sherrick has been tearing up the Modus League. And if you go on the Low Six app, uh, then you can get involved and make your picks for the Modus League in, in the various days that it's taking place. But Fallon wasn't really the the top two or three players in those women's qualifiers when she actually came through and, and did those amazing things at Ali Pali. It just kind of shows you that it's not necessarily the number one of the world champion that can have the biggest effect in, in this regard. No, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, we knew that Fallon was capable and she was touted as one of the great future talents. She had won a BDO major, not on, on a stage anything like Ali Pali, of course. She'd been And she'd also been a runner-up at the lakeside. We we were expecting that she would be capable, but as a lot of people said during the time, Dan, she, the build up to Ali Pali for her, I think was very advantageous. That she was doing a lot of exhibition work with Modus, playing top male players pretty much weekend in weekend out, and I really think that set her up nicely as far as any kind of fear factor was concerned for her. Her greatest uh, talent for me, if you have top trump cards for darts players her temperament is mm. absolutely key to her success nothing seems to phase her she is literally that player that can stand in a room full of mayhem we've seen it on the premier league stage as well as ali pali and she can yeah. deliver her best game under those circumstances um fallon has done marvels for the ladies game and i don't think it matters what side of the divide you're on i work on both sides and i think for the women's game she's a huge asset and i really hope she'll play a big role in the future of the World Arts Federation as well as the PDC. Yeah, well, that, that'll that be very, very interesting seeing who comes through those qualifiers because obviously Lisa getting a tour card, Fallon has been seemingly brilliant for a couple of years. And then also, I mean, I, I want to see Mikuru Suzuki back playing because what was it like when she first turned up at the lakeside? You were there. I, know I had seen her at the um, World Masters before but when she oh, came Masters. through to qualify. She'd, she'd also reached a quarterfinal there before and we'd seen her on the international stage, but another player that was so uh, uh, touted as a, as a potential champion, as a real spoiler, uh, we didn't realise, of course, how good she was. We knew her prowess in soft tip was strong. That doesn't always translate into the steel tip game. But I'm glad you mentioned her because rightly so, Fallon and Lisa get the headlines. But when you look at what Makuru Suzuki has achieved, coming from Japan, winning back-to-back BDO world titles, one at the Lakeside and then one at the Indigo. The way that she played on the Ali Pali stage, she went to a final. Like she could have been the first player to win a game. Absolutely. It, it, she she comes out of this with huge credit, and, and I'm sure that people would love to see her again on the PDC stage. She played very well at the Grand Slam as well. Remember, uh, so we'd love to see her there. But you, there are other players you can mention. Um, a big name in every sense, Anastasia de Bromoslova. She's done it before on, on the PDC stage. She qualified again uh, for the Ali Pali. Um, there are others that 
really can compete. Eileen de Graaf, Lorraine Wynne Stanley, Dieter Hedman still going strong. Um, there, there are so many capable players and you may see another couple come through that, that women's mini series there. Yeah, well, it's certainly moving in the right direction. I don't know how quickly it's going to move, but the more top talent we get, the easier that will happen. Uh, well, look, little Richard joining us on the podcast uh, this week. He may look like a small child. We're about to hear from a man, though, uh, who won the World Youth Championship despite looking like a fully grown man with a beard and chest hair. It is Cool Hand Luke Humphreys, a man whose PDC youth record almost equals that of Dimitri Vandenberg. And, of course, we saw last week what he went on to achieve. These are the questions that you should be asking. Luke Humphreys, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Luke, famously named uh, after Leeds United. Good time to be a Leeds fan, isn't it, Luke? Best time, I would imagine, that you've known. Yeah, it's probably the best time since I've sort of supported Leeds. Obviously, when we had uh, when we was good in the Premier League, well, we was pretty decent in the Premier League. You know, I was a bit young then. Uh, and it's a great feeling. It's brilliant. You know, I think we, we deserved top spot. Um, and it was good to do it in good style. Was it always footy? Was it footy before darts for you, wasn't it? You were a big football player when you were a kid. Yeah, I was a really good football player. I was I was started off on uh, Alan Pitch, uh, and I was a good defender. And then um, I went. Uh, we did obviously training every week, and our goalkeeper was injured, uh, and I went and played in goal. And I just seemed to sort of uh, be really good at being in goal. And I was really really starting to get you know a few scouts coming to watch me and and stuff like that. I was I was pretty good. Uh, but then uh, I just sort of found darts. Darts becomes all-consuming itself. When you're involved in the tour and you're travelling and you're playing all the time, often you're playing at three o'clock on a Saturday or weekends or whatever. And do you like follow football or other sports as much as you did? Because I, I struggle, I have to admit. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the football season's a little bit harder to follow. Usually when sort of leads are playing at about three o'clock, I'm usually out by then, so usually I'm able to follow anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it is, it is harder to follow sport. Um, you know, I'm a huge cricket fan now. Nowadays, you know, I love watching cricket. Uh, so and usually I'm away, so I miss a lot of sport, uh, which is the only the only down thing about uh, you know being away a lot. I do get to catch up on a lot of it through the week uh, when I'm back home. Is that quite a hard thing to deal with? With darts being everything, you know, everything is geared up. It's your job, but it's also your hobby and it's your passion and it's something you've got a real talent in. And if it's not going well, then that that becomes a real issue because it's not only how you earn your money, but it's it's your escape from your normal life for other people. Whereas for you, it's it's everything. Yeah, I mean, it's hard, you know. Darts just obviously even just my hobby, you know, it is my job as well. There's no guarantee, in, especially in my sport, you know, that you'll always be a professional for the rest of your life. You know, it can be taken away from you at any moment. If, you, if you're not performing over, you know, if you have a bad couple of years, you know, you can find yourself uh, back to Q school and, um, you know, fighting to, to get that tour card back. But it's the same in snooker as well and, and golf and stuff. You know, you have to be at the top of your game consistently all the time. Otherwise, you can find yourself, you know, uh, back at back and back at the bottom. So, but you know, I, I, look, I look at it as you know, I never expected myself to be in the situation I am. Um, I, I mean, I never really had dreams of, of being a professional dart player. You know, that, that wasn't something that was on my mind for for many years. It was only you know when I started to get to the ages of like seventeen, eighteen. You know, when I started to get a little bit decent at the game, that uh, I knew I could I could uh, make a living and uh, make this my job. I seem to be gradually getting better and better and, and growing in confidence. 
you know, most of my hobbies I've uh, had to take a, a back seat. Um, I'm an avid golfer as well. You know, I love playing golf. Unfortunately, you know, that, that that's hard to do when you're away every weekend and the sacrifice I make is, is worth it, really. Well, you've probably got a, a more interesting perspective on on it than most just because you very early on in your darts career you, you genuinely thought at one point you're going to have to quit because you were getting anxiety up on on stage and during games and that that really did make you question whether you'd be able to carry on doing it yeah i mean that that sort of it all, the anxiety thing all sort of happened just before i was about to become a professional dart player um in the first year i come back you know everything was fine and then the second year, this is when I come back playing. The first year was fine. The second year was when obviously I won the development tour. And everything was fine, you know. I never had anxious feelings or anything like that, you know. And I think we've all heard the story about when I said, you know, when I went to that exhibition, I had them palpitations and stuff, woke up in the night. It all happened since then, you know. And it, and I've never really experienced being a fresh star player without it. So I've just had to sort of uh, cope with it throughout the whole time I've been a professional. I didn't really know everything about it. So at that time, you know, I thought, you know, this is affecting my health. I'm probably going to have to give up. Um, but that was just me being too hasty. Since, you know, that, that time when I was in the same specialist, you know, I've really learned to control it really well. And I, I don't think it'll ever make me give up the game because I love it too much. So, I mean, it's very much a case of you, you've not done anything that's made this problem go away. You've just found a way to live with it and, and cope with it to allow you to carry on playing the sport. Yeah, I mean, if, if I mean, people will know this thing's something you can just click your fingers and get rid of. You know, it'll always stay with me now, unfortunately. But you just have to sort of learn ways of dealing with it and coping with it, and uh, learning the, the triggers that sort of cause your anxiety. But I'm not. I wouldn't put myself in the category. You know, as very, very anxious about everything I do. You know, I wouldn't walk out on a big stage in front of three thousand people if, if you know, if I was that bad. You know, I, I just have certain moments that I get anxious in. Um, but mine's, mine was more physical symptoms, you know. I didn't really get the, the anxious thoughts in my mind, you know. It wasn't like, oh, I can't walk out on that stage because people are going to be staring at me or stuff like that or I'm going to make a fool of myself. You know, mine was just more physical symptoms where I'd get the, the sort of the palpitations and the, and the shaking and stuff, you know, for no reason. I didn't know why it was happening. So mine was, mine was more physical than mental. Is that a scary um, thing when, when that started happening? When you are on a big stage in front of thousands of people and being broadcast all over the world? Yeah, yeah, it is a scary feeling, though, because it, I got obsessed with thinking that it's so wrong with my heart, you know, because when, obviously when you your heart's beating uh, sort of skipping beats and stuff, obviously it's a natural thing that happens. But my body was noticing it uh, constantly, you know. Every time my heart skipped a beat, my, my body was noticed it, uh, would notice it. This is what our doctor told me. You know, your brain filters out pointless information that you don't you don't feel. Um, you know, I mean, he did a test with me while I sat on a chair, and uh, he said, uh, "I bet you can't feel the, the the back of the chair in touching my back." And as soon as I thought about, it, I could feel it, mm. but at the time I couldn't feel it because your brain filters out things. My brain weren't filtering out these pointless things, you know, of, of the the heart skipping the beat and stuff. And um, then obviously, once I felt it once, you know, then I'd go in panic mode. And stuff like that. It was just small little things, small little triggers that were making me sort of lose lose it, and I couldn't couldn't control myself. But now, you know, I know them little triggers are nothing. You know, I just deal with it much easier. Um, and, it, and it is very hard, you know, especially when it happened to me on the big stage against Rob Cross uh, in the world. That was one of the the biggest times it ever badly happened to me. But I was really proud of myself for coming through that game. Actually, absolutely, it was an incredible performance. But that's 
talking about it, opening up about it and acknowledging that you had an issue, was that quite hard? Because any kind of mental health issue in sport, when you say, look, I, I think I've got something that needs addressing here, then there's got to be a part of you that is scared, oh, people will think I'm, I'm weak here or I'm not strong enough to play the sport. I mean, it happened to, say, Jonathan Trott, uh, the England cricketer, because he was struggling with, with anxiety, I think it was, and he pulled out of a tour and then he got a load of criticism saying, let, let the team down. I mean, that those sorts of thoughts have got to be quite a, a difficult thing to deal with, what other people will think and say. or Was that not a concern for you? Do you know what? It wasn't. I think I'm sort of different in that aspect. You know, I can see a lot of a lot of um, reason for other people that you know are scared of doing it because obviously it's not it's not an easy thing to do, is it? You know, coming out about saying I struggle with anxiety because I think times are different. You know, mental health isn't frowned upon really. It never should have been, but I think it was. Nowadays things are different, but for me it wasn't a hard decision or uh, you know a hard thing to come to do to come out about. You know, I, I just it was just straight feeling for me you know I knew I had to do it um, because you, if you watch my games properly you'll see sometimes I'm celebrating and I'm enjoying it then all of a sudden I'll close up and I won't celebrate and um, if, if you watch the game back Rob Cross you'll see after I go to all you know I don't really celebrate very much you know because my, my body just shut down and I couldn't focus properly and that's that's the hardest part not the part about you know telling people you've got it you know because I think uh, it can help people you know especially when you see uh, people you watch on the TV you know that everybody thinks you know life's perfect uh, you got a dream job what 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 could be wrong you know but it's, I think people take a little bit of comfort from seeing you know sports people and people at the top you know coming out about their struggles and that life ain't always as easy as it seems well uh, some do I'm sure although they're always I mean you're active on social media I would imagine it's on a pretty regular basis you have to deal with idiots chucking stuff at you for seemingly no reason other than they lost a bet or looking for a reaction how do you find that i've received my fair share of it as well but i'm i'm lucky you know i'm really thick skinned i don't let any abuse affect me you know i had a lot from the world when i won the world youth title yeah that's because you're 75 years old though isn't it luke yeah that's because i am 75 <laughs> years old but <laughs> <laughs> well, how so did you deal with it how did that, that make you feel because i mean like, i remember interviewing you after the world youth championship and there was loads of people online saying oh he shouldn't even be in it i mean it, it must have felt like people were trying to cheapen your achievement in some way even the ones who were going oh nothing against luke obviously he's played really well he just shouldn't have been allowed to play yeah was, do you know what? it was a little bit of um it felt you know i just want i don't know what the world is but you know it just felt a bit unjust i just won you know the biggest prize for me at my age and I finally got that reward after three hard years of, you know, playing in the development tour. And if I say so myself, I think I deserved I deserved the World Youth title to cap off, you know, what was a great youth career for me. And it felt like I didn't really get any respect for it. Um, you know, I, if we look back, you know, Dimitri, the year before, was 24 as well. But I didn't see no uh, no people saying, you know, he's 24, he shouldn't have won it. Um, yeah, he didn't have the beard then, though, Luke, did he? No, he didn't, he didn't have the beard. beard. He had the did full he? beard. I know, it was because I had chest there as well, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the thing is, what, pe what people don't realise is, you know, there's people with bigger beards than me that are only 17 on the director's tour. <laughs> you know, I, I, do, you know what, do you know what the thing is? I think it was because, you know, I played Adam um, and he was only, I think he, was he 17, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, Adam Gavlas, yeah. yeah. So they just looked at it as, you know, I'd played a young kid, you know, it's unfair, it's not matched up. But, if you know, if, you, if people would have seen my route to the final, you know, I had to be, 
some very good players. You know, Jeffrey just won in the quarterfinals. Game with Barry Van Peer, you know, average 105 in that game. Barry averaged 104. You know, Adam did beat uh, Max Opp in the last 16 as well, I think. So he had beaten previous good players. You know, it was just more stage experience in my favour, really, that, that, that won me that. Yeah, look, I spoke to Adam before. When he turned up at Minor that weekend, he didn't even realise it was going to be on stage and on telly or anything. I think the occasion certainly got the better of him. Um, but yeah, experience is a big thing. But that's that must be something you've had to tell yourself for a while because we've talked many times about, look, look at all your youth records and your youth titles and everything else like this. But on the senior tour, it's taking time to click, isn't it? Although... Do you know where you are on the averages list on the Pro Tour this year? I know we've not had loads of events, but do you know where you are on the averages list? Uh, I know I'm up there, but I don't know exactly where. You, you're 11, you know mate. There's only 10 players 11. higher than you. I mean, the standard is good. You just haven't found a way to win as many games as perhaps you should. But that, that takes patience yeah. and time, doesn't it? I just don't know what that sort of deciding factor is for me. I think, you know, I've, I've gradually increased my... Um, my standard on the floor over the last, this is my third year as a professional. You know, the first year I sort of running at about 92 average on the floor, which was pretty decent in my first year. Last year I was up at, you know, 93 and a half sort of, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm progressing, you know, hopefully this year, 94. Uh, and I'm on at like 96, 97, but <laughs> the results have been worse. So it's hard. I think, you know, people love my, my rhythm. I think that's a sort of a factor that people always seem to sort of play well against me. I don't know if you've noticed that, but people always seem to play well against me. And uh, it's really tough because I think I'm playing really well. Probably, you know, a lot of people say, oh, he plays really well on the stage, but he's not that great on the floor. But I, I disagree, you know. I think I'm starting to play as well on the floor as I do on the big stage. I just don't seem to be getting that little bit little bit of luck that I need um, because of my dark, the way I'm playing is, is really good. So I think it's just one of those things where, you know, I've got to stick there, keep going. Um, because the luck will ch- will turn around, and you know I'm just a few short of doubles or you know finishes away from I'm getting into them lap lap rounds because I think I've been playing really good if I'm honest this year. Well, a load of development tour titles, a World Youth Championship, two senior World Championship quarterfinals. This reminds me very much of somebody who we've just seen win the World Match Play for the first time in Dimitri. I mean, you must have looked at him that week in Milton Keynes and thought. I could do that, surely. Yeah, definitely. You know, a lot of people, though, can, like not you, but a lot of people compare me to Dimitri, Maxop, you know, Jeffrey Desmond and stuff like that, but they've been in the, the PDC about three or four years longer than me. People forget, oh, this is still only my third year, so. But I agree what you're saying. I looked at him and thought, you know, I could have been doing what Dimitri's doing, but, you know, he's he's uh, he's worked hard to be to be where he is and he deserved, he deserved the prize of what he got. Uh, just me um you know i could have got a big prize who knows you know the two world championships that i played in and played really well and you know i was knocked out by a brilliant performance who knows if if michael smith and peter wright hadn't played as well as they did you know i could have been world champion myself so but you know it's one of those things that's going to take time and uh i know my stage game's there my floor game's getting better you know piece them both together and you know i could be playing i need i need to start playing in these world match plays and world grand prix you know because to grow and get better as a player, I need to be in them. Hey, well, look, it took Leeds United 17 years to get back to the top flight, so... Yeah, I hope it doesn't take me 17 years.
Cool hand, Luke Humphreys there, celebrating not only Leeds United's return to the Premier League, but hoping for some success of his own. How do you rate his chances of achieving personal success, Richard? Because it looks like he's got all the ingredients. Well, Luke mentioned, didn't he, the comparisons made between him and Dimitri van den Berg and that some of those may be misaligned. But I, I think he can take some positives from that comparison. Uh, and when you look at what Dimitri's just recently got on to achieve, Luke and his CV are set very similarly, aren't they, to Dimitri's. That dominance that Luke mentioned of the development tour, what was it, 11 wins, I think, across three years. Mm, yeah. And then, and then ending it, becoming World Youth Champion. Well, when I look back at Dimitri's record, he won 12 development tour titles and walked away with a couple of world youth titles so there there are parallels double world championship quarter finalists luke should really be inspired by that and uh, look so so capable we've seen what he can already do what we want to see of course are more performances which he's alluded to on the big stage we want to see him in these majors and competing on a more regular basis yeah, I also found it fascinating talking about... He was so matter-of-fact about... I was expecting, whereas his mental health and his anxiety problems, I was expecting him to sort of go, yeah, yeah, it's been really difficult, it's been difficult to do this, that and the other. He just goes, yeah, well, I just realised I had a problem, just told people and got on with it, really, and now I'm just going to... I can live with it, I love darts too much, it's not going to be a problem for me, I'm just going to crack on. Like I'm, I'm kind of inspired by how he's just so easily dealt with a problem that most or a lot of other people, would, would really struggle with. Yeah, I can completely relate to it as well. I, I suffer with anxiety myself, and yet I'm still capable of walking on a stage, albeit I'm not throwing darts, and, and people will be thankful for that. But <laughs> I, you can still perform at a top level in your chosen job with anxiety, and Luke is testament to that. He's saying, yes, I'm suffering with anxiety, but that doesn't mean that I can't also throw world-class darts at the same time. I'm dealing with the issue rather than making it a reason not to perform. Well, look, I think it's particularly inspiring seeing him deal with it so and deal with it so publicly and, and look, go on to hopefully achieve the best stuff he's, he's ever done. He's certainly looking like he's playing in that manner. We may well see him playing as a Premier League player. Of course, he became the first contender to win a match in the Premier League. He beat Gary Anderson... Uh, earlier on this year and we will be talking Premier League in a moment these are the questions that you should be asking when we're live oh we're alive now we're not live now are you interviewing me or not seriously these are the questions that you should be asking when we're live oh we're alive now we're not live now seriously there you are on television were you at that tournament where Wayne got caught out? I was. I was the spotter there. I And I remember having the chat with Wayne at the hotel after it. I, can I just say, by the way, I love that man. Wayne, Wayne <laughs> my goodness. Uh, that, but what a moment. What a moment that was. Uh, honestly, it is one of the greatest darts interviews I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, and will haunt him for the rest of his days uh, through various forms. Um, look, Wayne is going to be back on the podcast and we'll be getting his uh, picks for the Premier League. You can join in on the PDC Picks app or the Low Six app. Um, it's going to be you know, two, three weeks away yet before we're in Milton Keynes, but then it is going to be thick and fast. So you will actually have the first three days of Premier League action. It's all on the apps now, so you can get on there and, and make your selections either night by night or in one big lump of 
three nights in one. Uh, Richard, I'm going to get your predictions for the first night back we have at Milton Keynes. Can you remember what the table looked like? I asked Chris Murphy this last week, and he was impressive, but I think he was cheating and Googling the answers. Do you know, can you remember who's yeah, at the top I of the table? I, I haven't Googled the answers. I, I, I actually remember more about who was struggling with the points. I know that Daryl Gurney had only mm. had two draws, hadn't he? So he's he's in... And the, and, the, and the players above him in the league who, who hadn't got too many points all seem to be in pretty decent form. So it's, it's back against the wall, I think, for for Daryl because you've got the likes of um, Gerwin Price and Gary Anderson who, who seem to be, well, certainly Gary, seem to be in really good shape um, at the world match play. At the top, I'm not too worried who's top at the moment. I'm just wondering if Michael Van Gerwen can keep that immaculate record going that Phil Taylor produced before him. What was it? Taylor, top of the first eight Premier Leagues, and and yeah. Michael now looking to do the same. It will be his eighth in a row to finish top. Yeah, well, top at the minute is Glenn Durrance. Dan, that was the reason why I didn't want to mention who was top because Glenn has done that for us on a daily basis. <laughs> yeah, he has done actually. To be fair, <laughs> he's going to be first up uh, when we're back in Milton Keynes, and he's against Peter Wright. And I'm is Peter Wright the best player in the world this year? I'm sorry to bring up the horrible subject, but it's very difficult to say, isn't it, when you've had such a gap in play? Uh, it is, but I he, don't he's know looked good. I mean, the match play was good. He wins the summer series. Uh, it's not as if he's come back and just sort of been OK. He's been no. arguably the best. He, he has, but I think Peter will judge himself on, you know, things like how the match play ultimately went and... Mm. Glenn himself had a terrific world match play, didn't he? If you're asking me for a prediction in that match, I think, as always, Peter will have gone away, put the work in and, and come out really strong for that game. Um, but Glenn will be keen, of course, to stay as he... I think he loves being top of the Premier League, so I don't think there's going to be any doubting um, Glenn's motivation there. Uh, do I have to actually predict with scores? I, Dan, no, I, all I want is you very can be risky indeed. Yeah, I, all I want is is a name or a draw. That's it. And the thing is, I did make my predictions with Chris Murphy last week, and because I am a fickle creature, I've completely forgotten what I've said. The only thing I remember was definitely I went. This one was a draw. Dozer and Wright is a draw. I just can't separate them. You could barely separate them at the World Match Play when they met, and I, I just think he's so. He's a battler, does he? He doesn't give you anything easy. If he goes three legs behind, he won't. his head never drops. He just keeps on going. He has a bit of a salt when he loses, but so does every player, and they're completely entitled to. But then he comes back and keeps on fighting for his next game. I, I think this could be made for him night after night of, of big stage action with the Premier League for, the, for a week. Well, I'm going to level it out then, because, of, because I do think they're closely matched in the way you've described. Because Glenn got the win at the match play, I'm going to go for Peter in this one. OK, fair enough. Uh, next up, uh, Michael Van Gerwen, the man who has topped the Premier League league phase ever since Phil Taylor stopped doing it, against Rob Cross, the man who should have brought that record to an end, but he lost to James Wade in the final week. Michael Van Gerwen could do nothing about it. He was back at the hotel that night and laughing his bits off when he saw that Wade had done him a favour and earned him an extra, what, 25 grand for topping the table bonus. He was absolutely... Uh, he, he just could not stop smiling that night because it looked like Cross was going to end his record and take a few quid out of his pocket. Didn't happen. 
I've got no idea what to do with Rob Cross at the minute. I don't know whether he's going to be averaging 110 or 90. It's a confusing one. But then Michael Van Gerwen doesn't... He, he's looked a little bit inconsistent since his return, but you know that there's going to be some excellence in there from him. Yeah, both definitely with a point to prove. Um, Michael, I, we've seen it so often, haven't we? When he's had a disappointing event, the way he just comes back to prove a point, doesn't he? he? Whereas I think for Rob, it could be a slower climb to form. You know, I'm hoping for better things for Rob as the Premier League works its way through. If he picks up a win, it, he has... By the way, I mean, if you looked at Rob's last three games in, in, the, prim, in the Premier League before they, they eliminate a player, it's really tough. He's got Michael, then he's got Michael Smith, then he's got Glenn Durrant. Yeah. So yeah. if I mean, there aren't Gurney any easy ones, are points, they? But at the same time... Of course it, not. It's, it is tricky. Not. But I also think, you know, if it Rob is. Cross plays properly, then Rob Cross can beat everybody. In a, I say, he, he should have topped the table. He's, he's a special player, but this is undoubtedly the most indifferent patch that he's had. Even when he wasn't winning titles at the start of last year, he was still playing amazingly. It was a wonder that he didn't win um, some titles. But I, I, I don't know. I think he needs to... I think he really needs to have a strong few days in Milton Keynes. I think he can do it, but who do you who do you pick to win that one, then? I, I, w I would go with MVG, for sure. Well, I'm going to disagree with you, so I don't care. I'm going to pick Rob Cross. I am doing this rather in a rather contrary fashion, but I don't care. Uh, that's how I am. Uh, right, the bully boy and Gary Anderson. These two met at the World Match Play. Michael Smith did not perform... To his stat. I thought Michael Smith was going to was gonna win it. I thought it was all set up for him. I thought he was playing well enough. And he's had another one of those games in the back end of a, a major tournament where he's not started quickly enough and he's just given himself too much to do. He even nearly turned it around against Gary. But I just I don't have any confidence of where Gary's throw is. And in any game, no matter even if it's one of the greatest players you've ever seen in your life, and Gary Anderson is certainly one of those... If you don't have confidence in the throw, if you think it's going to let him down for a leg, a couple of legs, three legs, half a game, then you've got to look at the other guy as, as the potential winner, haven't you? I, I don't believe this is happening, but I'm agreeing with you, Dan. Oh! oh <laughs> take a photo, put it in your calendar. Fantastic. Oh, oh that's a Kodak moment there, yes. Richard. We've travelled all it over really the world is. together and this is one of the very few times where you've gone, you might have a point. Yeah, the first time that we're going to have a Kodak moment on a podcast as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, in rendering completely irrelevant because there's no, there's no pictures, it's just audio. But you agree with that, though. You don't, you don't know where Gary, Gary is in his game. You, you still think that anybody who goes up against Gary Anderson, you quite fancy him because I know Gary's going to wipe the floor with some of his opponents because he'll just play like the Flying Scotsman can, but... I just don't know when those performances are going to turn up, and so I'm tempted to look at the other guy. Yeah, no, I I do agree that the inconsistency of Gary is what makes people doubt. It's not it's not about his top game or about his ability, because, as you rightly said, without question, the the talent level, and is the player that every now and then just reminds us all how brilliant he is and fires in a ridiculous average and a great win, and we're all like, well, Gary looks good, and then the next game it's not there. So. This could be the Gary we get used to over the next uh, few months and years, where he's going to be picking up titles and bagging big wins over top players, but with the inconsistencies in between. OK, right, game four. What a game this is. I absolutely love the look of this. Nathan Aspinall, Gerwin Price. Now, 
I, I said earlier on on this part, I can't remember what episode it was, that Nathan Aspinall is rapidly turning into a lot of people's favourite player in the world of darts. He's certainly right up there with mine, alongside the likes of Andrew Gilding, Scott Rand, obviously. But he's right up there in in your rankings, isn't he, the Asp? Oh, I, I think the two players here, Nathan Aspinall and Gerwin Price, two of the most watchable players in the modern era, aren't they? They they scream Premier League for me. They just scream. Yeah, and and they not, scream Premier League. It's, it's not just what they do on the board. They're, they're just so watchable. And, and I even think, and, and let's have a look at this match. You're going to have a match played behind closed doors at Milton Keynes, the home of World Darts. Yeah. And you are going <laughs> to see so much emotion and animation from the two players it doesn't matter whether they're playing in front of 10,000 or, or, or zero. I, I, they're just full of beans. And, I, and I, I really, I'm with you. I look forward to watching it. Yeah, I, I can't remember what I said for this game um, between the Asp and, and Gezi when I talked with Chris Murphy about it. Where's, where do you think it sides? Because since coming back from lockdown, he has been either unstoppable or very stoppable. It's a hundred. It's a bit, a bit sort of Gary Anderson. It's either a hundred and ten average or it's a ninety average. I think that Nathan's probably the more consistent. But I, I, again, I'm tempted by the draw. To be honest. Yeah, I can't pick either, but I want to pick a winner. Okay, well, do that then. For a draw. So, well, I will. I'll go for Gerwin Price. So that anybody listening to us right now who's heard you say a draw or me say Gerwin Price. They're going to so lump on Aspinall. Nailed on that Nathan Aspinall is going to do it. Okay. Yeah. And then we've got yeah. we've got the contender. It should have been in Newcastle this night. It's not. It's in Milton Keynes. Chris Doby, Daryl Gurney. Now Daryl, as you say, he's struggling in the Premier League, and yet he said he felt brilliant. He thought that the summer uh, summer series. He said that was the best he'd played in the PDC in terms of consecutive days. And this is a guy who's won two major titles. And yet, he didn't quite go as far as he would have liked in uh, a number of those tournaments. He didn't win any. He didn't make a final. But he did throw some decent stuff. He felt like it was... And then it just didn't work for him at the match play. He played one good game and then got done by Vincent van der Voort. Although, I have to say, I thought Vincent was excellent at Milton Keynes. Do you see Daryl putting a surge together and, and potentially salvaging his spot in the Premier League before Judgment Night? Or do you think that it's a done deal? I'm, I'm wondering. I'm wondering if playing a contender on the opening night could go against him just because of the different ends of the scale in terms of the pressure on the match. Mm. I think Daryl has to win that game to have any chance of surviving. He's three points adrift, isn't he? So yeah. that is it's like a must win. It's almost a final on the first of the three nights he's playing this like knockout you know he needs two to three wins really to stay to stay in so i would go with chris only for that point i think daryl will come out of this sort of period of form and be absolutely fine i just think in the three days at the premier league it might he might be caught short because he's just not got the time to get a run going yeah i do and i do wonder so I'll, go for, I'll go for chris doby just just because I think he'll be a little looser, a little more free. I just think Chris could win that one. That's our picks. You can get involved as well on the Low Six app and PDC picks. As I say, the first three nights 
of that monster run in Milton Keynes are all available. Uh, what's next for you, Richard? Because, I mean, we've got a Euro Tour coming up, but that's not until the end of September. Is it just lots more planning and desperately trying to figure out how you make events happen for the next few weeks? Yeah, the the planning is, is ongoing. As far as the working at the events is concerned, we were all lined up, weren't we, with the European Tour events that, have, as you say, headline news have sort of changed in the last few hours. Um, so the World Series in Salzburg um, hopefully will be my next sort of event that I can actually attend and work on. I'll be doing the spotting there. So that that's the next one for us. And looking forward to that, that's always a great event. I'm not quite sure how we have our finals, of course, without the events that have come before. But yeah, I'm not complaining one, whatsoever. And I'm sure no one's complaining because we want the event to take place. Yeah, absolutely. And look, any darts is is better than nothing at all, even if that sort of World Series finals, which has actually turned it's turned into a really good event over the last couple of years where they've had more and more World Series events. Exactly. And it's felt like it's a, a crescendo towards a meaningful event. But it's going to be like this all the way through this year, you feel. Even if we get to the World Championship and it goes ahead completely as normal, it's going to be a very truncated year. And who even knows what goes on with world qualifiers and stuff? I don't even know. I don't envy uh, the guys who are making these decisions in the higher echelons of the PDC. In fact, I don't envy it so much that I'm probably going to play with some Lego. I bought some Lego for my four-year-old nephew uh, the other day, and I've got to keep hold of it for three more days before I give it to him. And I'm not sure that's going to happen without me opening the box and playing with it. So that's my plan for the next three days. Uh, I hope you guys have a lot of exciting things to do. Won't be as exciting as me with my Lego, though. Uh, you can join in, of course, on our PDC Picks on the Low Six app and the PDC Picks app. Uh, you might have had a go on that during the Low Six Home Tour playoffs, of course. If you are thinking of joining in, though, remember you've got to be at least 18 years of age and resident in the UK. Terms and conditions apply. Please gamble responsibly. And if you or a friend have problems with gambling, please seek help immediately and visit begambleaware.com.